0: What we're looking for is the decision to use us as the recruiter when the timing's right. That when we decide to use a recruiter, who's the first person that pops in my mind? It's like a billboard. I try to capture mind share instead of market share.
1: Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Michael Petrack. Michael is the co-founder and vice president of TMAC Direct, which is the executive recruiting arm of the medical affairs company based in Atlanta. They are the international leader in direct hire and contract staffing for medical affairs within pharmaceutical, biotech, and medical devices. During his 14 year career in recruitment, Michael has generated 12.8 million in personal production and 28 million including his team. He is known as one of the top five billers in the U.S., and when he was part of the MRI network, he was the number one solo recruiter worldwide. Because of that, he is a highly sought-after speaker and trainer. Michael, thank you for being here. Welcome.
0: No, it's a, it's my pleasure, Mark. Thank you for having me.
1: So you come highly, highly recommended. Uh, so many people have told me that I should get you on the show, including a who's who of... Uh, the American recruitment industry, Jordan Rayboy, Rob Bowerman, Sean Rigsby, John Schlegel, Chris Shuttlecote. Everyone kept telling me, you should interview Michael. And so I'm glad we're finally making that happen.
0: Oh, great. Well, I thank you. And, and uh, those guys that you just mentioned, those recruiters, they're excellent themselves. So I appreciate uh, them advocating for me is quite a, I guess, quite a privilege. Listen, Michael, you have three daughters, I believe. That's right. Yeah. I have three daughters. And, uh, what I tell people is if I didn't have hair, I wouldn't have hair because uh, having three <laughs> daughters is quite a, quite a trick to manage. And so I have a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old and a four-year-old.
1: that keeps Oh, me quite awesome. Busy. Yeah. Wow. That's brilliant. You're totally outnumbered, my friend.
0: It's right. And I, you know, the last thing I ever thought I'd ever have is daughters. I was, you know, raised mostly predominantly with, uh, by my dad and, and, uh, boys and, uh, Three girls. I'm a little out over my skis, as we say here in Colorado.
1: <laughs> Fantastic. I've got three kids as well, and uh, it keeps you busy for sure. So, Michael, like, let's start at the beginning. How did you get into recruitment in the first place?
0: You know, I was a baseball coach. I was a baseball player in college. And when, a, when you're a baseball player and you end your career, you really don't know what you're going to do with your life because all of your aspirational dreams or that you're gonna be this major leaguer and and the whole nine yards. So uh, for me, I was quite lost after I got done playing. And so what I did was what a lot of people do is I got into coaching. And I was a college baseball coach trying to move up the ranks there and made it to recruiting coordinator at a college in New Mexico, New Mexico State. And so I was heavily involved in the recruitment process, not knowing that was kind of grooming me for a later career. And so, when I decided to get out of coaching and get into the real world, I was notified about an opening in the recruiting world. I was like, hey, I can do that. That's probably the only thing I have any qualifications <laughs> to do. And so, I hooked up with a very great man in the MRI network. His name's Dave Murphy. Um, and uh, he taught me everything he knew, took me under his wing, and and the
1: rest is history, as they say. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, it's interesting. You, I was discussing with a friend of mine, Joel Slenning. I don't know if you knew Joel, he's in the Pinnacle Society as well. And um, we're running a, a program together for firms that wanna scale uh, and potentially sell their, their recruiting or staffing business eventually. But um, he makes a point of recruiting uh, athletes, people who are perform at a high level, um, whether that's in, in college or, or what have you. And do you think there's something to that? Like you you obviously have a athletic background. What is it about that kind of um, competitive sports that p- maybe makes a good um, breeding ground for recruiters?
0: It's an interesting question, Mark. Uh, I would mm-hmm. say the biggest commonality between all athletes is this ego drive that despite failure, you're going to succeed next time. And that's very important if you're going to be a resilient recruiter. You got to have that ingrained in you. Now, specifically baseball, where you fail so much, failure's built in, and people just understand you're going to fail. You know, if you're successful three out of ten times, you're successful. Right. That was a really great breeding ground for me to go into recruiting, understanding that it's a numbers game, and uh, and so baseball really kind of set the stage for me to do well in this business. I, I really believe
1: that. Interesting. Why else do you think you've been extraordinarily successful, Michael? Because, you know, um, a lot of, I know a lot of recruiters listening are working super hard. And so it's not lack of effort. And, you know, they're, they are good at what they do, but the, the results, the income that they're getting doesn't reflect how much effort they're putting in. What, what has been your secret? Yeah, that's a fair
0: question. And, and it's not one thing, Mark.
1: Mm.
0: It's a compounding of a variety of things. Uh, for instance, one of the things that has been most influential for me to increase my billings is being more niched or niched, as, uh, yeah. as you might say where you are, right? Um, exactly, right. So uh, finding a niche, sticking to it, becoming a celebrity in that universe, less is more has really been foundational for me but also marketing has done mm-hmm. has been a big element for me i do a lot of things to help brand and market and attract people to me mm. when i think about linkedin i think about it as people finding me versus me just finding people mm. and um honestly i had sort of an epiphany at a uh, in sitting in a drive-through of a restaurant we have in the united states called in n out burger oh yeah i've heard of I'm, that you heard of it, okay? So if you go to In-N-Out Burger, you're going to see a very simple menu. They have a single burger, a double burger, and that's it. Okay. And the line for this restaurant, Mark, is sometimes like causes traffic jams. And I'm sitting there waiting in this epic line to get a cheeseburger, for goodness sake. And, you know, I looked at the menu and said, what do they do? If, what would they do if I just said into the microphone ordering, I'd like a chicken sandwich? Mm-hmm. And that spurred this whole process for me to say, you know what, they don't stop their burger-making machine. They don't go out and buy a chicken patty just to serve my one order, but I was doing that as a recruiter. So I was stopping my machine to go get do this one tangential search. And instead, I said, you know, I'm going to say no to all the chicken sandwich orders now, and I'm just going to do a burger or a double burger, and I'm going to become fast, and I'm going to become the best at doing this that there is. And what I found is my line started backing up, causing traffic jams, too. And so for me, becoming more niched has meant more, not less. That's starting.
1: That, I agree 100%. And that's such a brilliant analogy, by the way. I'm, I'm going to remember that one. I think um, recruiters are fearful of giving up something. They think they're going to lose business. Like, oh, but I, if I say no to this customer, then I'm going to lose business. And I'm sometimes trying to persuade people that actually you're going to make more money by being more focused and more efficient. Um, so, But the way you explained it makes makes total sense. Why, apart from the efficiency, you mentioned also becoming a celebrity uh, within your niche. Could you say a little more about that?
0: Yeah. So what I started doing was um, every time I get a job order or search assignment or whatever the vernacular is that a recruiter may use, a new job, I film a a short video, a a one-and-a-half-minute video that is basically my voicemail but looking at a camera. And so when I send out a bulk email or when I post an opening anywhere, any LinkedIn or whatever it is, I always have that video. Uh, so they see me. They see me having a ton of jobs always. like I, You're everywhere is what I want to I hear people saying. Or people that I'm calling for the first time say, oh, I know you. You're that guy I see on the videos. And they're like, you <laughs> actually make phone calls? you know?" And so um, it, it's just like commercials. You know, it's branding. It's not that they're going to stop their job and go to your job right then, but over time, over time, over time, it becomes branding. I've been doing these videos for 10 years, so it's not an immediate ROI. But then I also do video blogs. I try to put out one blog a month as a free giveaway to my network that gives them some interviewing advice. And the way I started launching that, Mark, is I just took my prep script and I started breaking it down into three-minute you know, easy-to-digest increments. And I said, how many blogs, how many videos can I get from this one script that I already have it written? And I was able to get like 20.
1: Wow, that's amazing. And, and
0: every time I give somebody advice on the phone, I write it down. And I say, you know what, I'm just going to give that incentive to this one person to a mass audience. By doing that over time you really become a celebrity in your niche. Mm -hmm. Um, And so those are the two most influential, most impactful
1: things I've done. Amazing. You know, I love what you said about the compounding effect and that you've been doing this for 10 years because sometimes I'll suggest, hey, you know, have you tried video as a way of reaching out and differentiating yourself? and, And sometimes recruiters will say, oh, Mark, I tried that and I didn't get anything from it. And I'm like, well, how many videos did you make? Well, I did it three and I didn't get any candidates from it. So do you know what I mean? It's it's um, oh, yeah. it's that mentality of you can't work out three times in the gym and then look in the mirror and see a difference. It it you know takes time and effort compounded. Uh, so Well apply apply could, that to the phone.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you called three people and no one called you back you say this phone doesn't work, this ain't gonna make me any money. <laughs> So right. branding branding is sort of if you can picture like cattle being branded you know they have this branding iron it's really hot they stick you once and the brand's there forever that doesn't really work in our world it's more like impression 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 over a long period of time to the point where then the brand is branded in, in their mind. And what you're basically trying to do is capture mind share. For instance, if you see a commercial, like for in the U.S., I don't know if they have it where you are, but in the U.S., every now and then McDonald's has this thing called the McRib. So I never go to McDonald's unless I'm going to go get a McRib. So if I start seeing the McRib commercials, I know I'm going to go to McDonald's. But the whole time, I've already made that decision. What we're looking for is the decision to use us as the recruiter when the timing's right. That when we decide to use a recruiter, who's the first person that pops in my mind? It's like a billboard. You don't need a lawyer today. You may not need a lawyer years from now. But when you do, it's that billboard of the lawyer you've been seeing over and over and over that you're going to instantly think about. So I try to capture mind share instead of market share. How many people in my niche think of me when they think of the word recruiter? And that's what I'm after with my branding.
1: Totally. I, I uh, have a, a friend who used to be a sales director and he, his expression was, your success in business and in sales is directly related to how many people know who you are and what you do. And I think the two factors you've mentioned go really well synergistically. So the niche market specialization is, and then building your brand, it's so much easier to build that brand within a tight niche, right? Because then it's a finite number. It's a finite, you know, total addressable market or whatever you term you want to use that realistically you could over time, you know, have some kind of contact with everybody in that in that niche and have everybody know who you are. Whereas if you're too generalist, that's never going to happen, right? You just, you know, your efforts are going to be diluted um, rather than concentrated. Could you break down like the video process a little bit? Like I love how you came up with the ideas for creating these videos. So one is when you're, every time you get a new job, it's what you would say in a voicemail anyway, so you may as well record a video. So that's brilliant. The second idea was, you know, advice that you're giving over and over, why just give it one-to-one over the telephone? Why not give it one-to-many and use video? Uh, So the kinds of things you might say to a candidate to prep them for an interview or what have you, you could turn those into videos. But um, I think sometimes people... So that's one objection. People say, I don't know what I'd talk about in a video, right? So you've just given us plenty of ideas to work from there. But then the second objection is... Uh, well, I, I don't want to get all kinds of equipment and like, what, what did you start with when you started doing, because I've seen the videos on your website and they look pretty slick and professional and people might look at that and go, well, that's, he obviously had professional video people come in and do that. How did you get started with video and what equipment do you use today? So a uh, good question. Very fine
0: question. Uh, if anyone wants to go to our YouTube channel, you can go to our whole video log and just sort by the date and look at the earliest ones first, because that's basically what your first ones are going to look like. Mm -hmm. All I simply did when I first started was I had a laptop that came with, you know, a camera built in. Yeah. So I just pushed record and I noticed that my face was really dark. I have these deep sunken eyes and sort of a protruding nose. And so if I don't have a light shining in my face, I either look like Uncle Fester or that guy Steve Martin in Roxanne with the huge nose. So I need to have light shining in my face. So really all I had was a desk lamp that I just, you know, cranked up to shine in my face. I had the light that's already in my laptop, and I pushed record. And all I, all you do is trim the ends, upload it to YouTube, that gives you a short link. And you're in business. I mean, the cost of that was the cost of the lamp. Uh, since then, what I've done is gotten a high def camera that costs fifty bucks, forty nine ninety nine, and a little bit better microphone. Um, but uh, now, for my blogs, when I do a blog, I have a place where I do a green screen, screen uh, with a you know a virtual background and and you know a, a lapel mic, uh, some flood lamps, and a nice camera. The whole setup was about five grand uh, U.S. So not everybody has to do that. I mean, honestly, nobody cares. Even people might not even listen to what you say. It's just that they're seeing you. It's just, that's all it is. You're putting something out there. They're seeing you one more impression, one more impression. And so you don't need to have a fancy
1: setup. You're right. I think it's as long as it's good enough, it has to be professional enough that people don't even notice, right? If they notice, well, this is not a very good video, then I think that's not good enough. But as long as, you know, it's decent, then you're good to go. And it's building that no like, and trust factor yeah. where people see you over and over and over. Let me, let me just add something to that, Mark, if you yeah. don't mind. Like, there's some guys that I follow... I, I,
0: like a Simon Sinek, or is that how you say his name, yep. Sinek? Or, and then there's another guy, Martin something. I see these videos all over LinkedIn, right? Mm-hmm. They're like on their phone. It's shaky and it's like they're just t- doing a FaceTime call with you. Right. So it doesn't have – and sometimes I see sales leaders doing these things and they're on a walk. Or um, other ones, they're on this hike and they just stop. Hey, I just had an idea. I wanted to share it with you. So it doesn't have to be this big production. It just has to right. be raw and real and impactful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Do you know, actually getting outside is not a bad idea because the the two biggest factors when it comes to the quality of the video, one is audio. So, you you know, you need to make sure that your sound is, is decent. But second is light. As you said, like you had that lamp pointing it at your face. And if you can't get that in your office, then going outside solves that problem. Would you like to make the transition from pure contingency to being a retained recruiter? Do you wanna be respected as a true business partner by your clients while increasing your average fee? If so, then clearly you need to do something different. You can't just keep doing what you're doing and expect a different result our sponsor iintro gives you a turnkey solution for winning retained searches and managed service agreements at higher fees. You will take business away from your competitors because you can actually show the client a unique methodology in a very tangible way and demonstrate conclusively how you will improve their staff retention and reduce their total cost per hire while also saving hours of management time. If you'd like to see how iIntro can help you to grow your recruitment business and increase your average fees, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. Book a free consultation. There's no obligation. And if you mention that you listened to this podcast, iIntro have pledged to offer you a 25% discount on any of their services. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained to get started. I'd love to get even more granular because I know that many of the recruiters that I speak to uh, have a backlog of jobs right now, and they're struggling to fill them due to like extreme candidate shortages. And you know, right now, who knows how long this will last for? This is a, a really crazy market that, that we're in, but candidates have lots of options. They're being contacted almost on a daily basis by recruiters. It's harder to get a response to emails, LinkedIn messages, voicemails, and um, what are you guys doing in your firm to counteract that and, you know, continue getting the engagement from candidates so that you can serve your clients at the highest level?
0: It's a valid question, Mark. And, and I got to tell you, reaching candidates is a big challenge because they're growing numb. There's so much outreach that they just, they, they have to be very selective. And that's why being known to them as somebody in their their niche is very important. Mm. But let's say you're just starting out, you haven't really done that. Here's what I do, here's the process. So I get a job order, search assignment, whatever, I film the video, I put it on YouTube and I get a short link. My next strategy is who am I gonna send this to and how? My personal philosophy and my belief is if you're sending emails or going through LinkedIn, you're gonna get lost in the noise. If somebody texts me and I don't text them back really quickly, I have this anxiety that I'm being rude. You know, but if someone emails me, I can easily ignore it. It's not necessarily rude. You know so what I do is I text my top 10 to 20 people on the search. Now what if you don't have their cell numbers? Well, if you connect with them on LinkedIn, sometimes you can get their uh, cell number off their contact info. I use True People search that helped me find, uh, or Lucia to help me find cell phones. This is what I do. I first, in my phone, I have an iPhone. In my iPhone, I build out my player, my card. You know, me as a contact, and I put everything in there. My birth date, my, you know, my anniversary, where I work, my address, every phone number or email you can reach me, right? I send that to them first. Say here, I wanna make sure you have my contact information. Also, I wanted to talk to you about this job. And maybe if I know them really well, I'll give them more details. Hey, it's with XYZ company, blah, blah, blah. And then I plop the short link in there. So in their text message, they're going to have me as their contact card that they can just save. They have a little blurb. They know it's a one off directly to me, not a mass bulk. And it has a link to a video that is just saying, watch me, watch me, watch me, you know, and it's it's luring them in. Now, I can see if I sent out 20 of those, I can go into YouTube and see how many of those were watched. Also, if uh, often in an iPhone, you can see who's read it. You know, So for me, that is how I engage the top 20. Now, I'm not gonna do that to everybody on the list because that is t- kind of labor-intensive. But I know the competitors. I know who's a good fit for the job as I'm taking it. And so I wanna hit those people and reach those people for sure and people really feel bad about not responding to a text. So I'll pause there, any questions about that?
1: Yeah, no, it's interesting because uh, I was doing some research recently for a, a course that we, we put together for our uh, coaching clients called Candidate Conveyor Belt. And the response rates and the speed of response to text messages is like five times higher than email. It's pretty insane. People, for whatever reason, feel like they obligated to respond to a text. And people also check their phones about a billion times a day (laughs) as well. Um, But let me ask you this, because this was something that some people threw at me is they just didn't feel comfortable texting someone who didn't know them, like for someone who, they'd already spoken to. They said, yeah, sure. I would text someone about the job, but if it was a cold outreach, then they, they had a bit of a mind block to that. What's your response to to that?
0: Uh, You know, think of it as someone who's adverse to a cold call. Mm. If you have that fear, you're not going to succeed in this business, but here's the other, here's sort of a gateway to start it. If some, like what I find is it's harder and harder just to leave a voicemail message. A lot of people's voicemail messages are uh, full, full. you know, you can't even leave a message. So whenever I get that, for me, it's like, hey, that basically is saying, feel free to text. Feel free to text. But, um, you know, I am not scared to text anybody because, and I'm not scared to call anybody. And maybe that's part of the reason why we're being
1: successful. Absolutely. You know, if you, I, I'm glad you said that because... I had the same feeling that, look, if if you believe that this opportunity could be, you know, life-changing for someone, it could be a, such a significant improvement on their current situation, then don't you owe it to them to let them know about it, at least through whatever means possible to get, you know, get their attention and put this in front of them so they can make a decision. You know, it's kind of like your duty, your responsibility, your obligation to, you know, make sure that this person receives this information, and if 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 not, then you've you failed in, in some way. Like, and is the, maybe the odd person might get upset or you know feel like you're intruding. But um, think of the think of the opposite. Like, is it better to upset a couple of people in order to help? you know, someone make that life-changing move, or is it better to, you know, play it safe, but then nobody gets, you know, to learn about that opportunity? That's kind of the way I think about it anyway. And, and yeah. um, then again, if it's not a, an exceptional opportunity, why are you even working on it?
0: Well, let me piggyback on your thought process there, because I would agree with you. Um, the, other, the other thing to think about is there are re, if you explain why you're texting, then it could really help. Just like you kind of throw a preface on some of your questions so it doesn't seem too forward. Like when you're asking mm-hmm. about compensation, you wouldn't walk up to a stranger and say, hey, what are you making nowadays? You know. Mm-hmm. But if you throw a preface on there, they may be more open to telling you. The same thing with the text. Hey, Mark, all I had was your work email, and I just wanted to be as discreet as possible. That's why I'm texting you. Or, hey, I have this confidential search, wanted to make sure that it got directly to you with speed, so I thought a text would be best. You know, Love hey, it. I've been meaning to send you my contact information, so I wanted to get that to you, uh, and, and then I also wanted to tell you about this job. So, you know, there's different ways of doing it, so it's not, it doesn't feel spam or bulk. You want to do it one-off. But I want to also just comment on why the your card your contact card going in there is so crucial because if we go back to branding and them thinking of you, there's twofold why if they have your card, it's important. So I'm one of Jehovah's Witnesses. I don't celebrate birthdays, but ah. I have people on my phone that comes up all the time. So-and-so's birthday's today. So-and-so's birthday today. And I'm thinking of them, you know, because I care about them. I'm not going to say happy birthday, but I, I am thinking of them. When my birthday comes up, I certainly don't want them to wish me a happy birthday. But at the same time, it's another touch. They're seeing me. The other thing is when you call someone and you don't know the number, what do you do? Decline, right? Or you're trying to wrap your brain around, okay, who is this that's not saved in my phone that this could possibly be? But if they save me, then I'm in their phone in perpetuity.
1: Ah, of course. Genius. It's so obvious when you say it. Um, so, Michael, just I I like to just understand the nitty gritty. So, you send the card with your first message so that they've got it. So it basically
0: looks like three messages. Okay. You know, it's card, mm-hmm. then context, mm-hmm. with a video link. But the video link pops up as, as a third message, as almost like a separate got it. message.
1: Got it. Got it. And and test it.
0: Send it. Send, send, uh, try to send a YouTube video, a random one to someone that knows you're about to send one and see how it looks or try to send your contact card to a friend. Um, and, 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 uh, you'll see how it all looks.
1: Wouldn't it be better rather than send the YouTube video to put the video on your website, and then link there so that they immediately have your contact and from like they're, well, I suppose you've just sent them your card, haven't you? But they're on your website rather than getting distracted and down a rabbit hole on YouTube.
0: Well, it could, it very well could be better. Uh, for me, I don't house these on our website. Okay. I um, see. And honestly um, by the time I post, like, I don't rely on applicants at all. Like I don't even yeah. like to post my positions on our website, but I have to just for branding. So by the time I get around to writing the post,
1: it's, it's not new, you know, it's, okay. it's I put it off. So you're the last going minute. fast. That's the, you're right. Okay. I get yeah. it. Yep. What, what is the time scale like around this process? So you take a job today at 9am. What, what's the uh, sort of chain of events?
0: Yeah. Good point. So every, just like In-N-Out Burger, they know what is, they know who the next, the next person's ordering something they're ready to fill. Right. So, for, and if they're not, then they're like, Hey, you're at the wrong restaurant. So for me, I have these master roll-up lists. Mm-hmm. So I work in the pharmaceutical industry. I work in one or two functions within the pharmaceutical industry. The differentiator between one or the other is the therapeutic area. So I have all these master lists on the therapeutic area side, and then I have a way in my data- database to tag whether they're active, inactive, or sort of in the middle listening. Okay, so when I get a new assignment, I go to that master list, I sort by geography, I sort by activity, and the active and listening ones, they're going to get a text from me as soon as the the thing's hot, as soon as the, uh, the video's out on the world. Um, and my goal is to try to get one to three submittals, pojos, whatever the the vernacular is, within the next within a day or two. And if I can do that, then I can really test the job the quality of the job order. If they're telling me that it's urgent, and I send them three people, and then I don't hear from them, well, then I'm off to another assignment. So for me, I work 100% contingent, not 100%. I'd say 99% contingent. I like contingent Interesting. search. Interesting, because I know the universe that I'm working in, and I know when a search is done. When I'm working tangential retained things, you know, I feel like I'm married to this thing, and I don't really mm. know when the search is done. Mm. I want to, on a contingent basis, saying, "Hey, these are my three candidates. This is all I'm going to yield. I'm rolling the dice and I'm 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 playing the odds." And so, uh, and because of that, I have a lot of volume. And I can send candidates to multiple jobs, which is really what I'm looking to do.
1: Ah, uh, okay. I'd lo- let me circle back to that. B- before we do, I just had one more question about your process outreach process, which is, um, have you f- tested and found it's more effective to s- contact people directly from your cell phone versus using, like, there are some platforms you can integrate with your database and send text messages through the database do you feel like you have a will have a better response because it's more personal or like why have you chosen to do it that way specifically
0: well so we use ring central that's tied to crelate Yep. and um and so we can text through our ring central platform which i do most of the time but Mm -hmm. that and i i can't send my card from my iphone through ring central Mm. So usually right. that first initial outreach is on my cell phone, but in my car, in my pr- contact card, is my work number, my Ring Central number. So then what I do is I convert to Ring Central, and for them it's all the same person.
1: Great, I love that you have thought this through. Um, before I go to my next question, I'd like to share one of the keys to my success in recruitment and in business. You may have noticed that a lot of the people I interview on this show have a coach. That's not a coincidence. Most high achievers have a coach, including me. I've worked with various coaches over the last 20 years, and it's been a huge factor in my own personal and business growth. Here's why. Sometimes it's hard to see the forest for the trees, and it really helps to take a step back and look at how you can improve the business and get a fresh outside perspective from someone who's bringing new ideas and insights to the table. Plus, as a business owner, who is holding you accountable and helping you stay on track? So I wanna encourage you, if you're not already working with a coach, get one. It doesn't have to be me, there are plenty of amazing coaches out there. Just find someone who you believe will add measurable value to your business and can help you get to the next level. If you do wanna explore a coaching relationship with me, then you're welcome to apply for a free 30-minute strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. This is not a sales call. My number one objective is to help you to get clear on your goals, identify the roadblocks that are holding you back and create a strategic plan to increase your billings and grow your business. I promise you'll leave our session feeling focused, re-energized and excited to take your business to the next level. You can apply at www.recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. I'm a big believer in retained. And but I'd love to hear your philosophy because it's obviously working for you. Um, and the one thing I've latched onto so far, which does make sense to me, is you want to be able to if you've got an outstanding candidate, you want to be able to present them to multiple opportunities rather than feel like you're you have to only send them to to one. So I can see that being one strong argument to for the contingency model. Are there any other? Reasons why you prefer to work that way. The big reason is, I
0: would say, eighty percent of the retained searches I've worked, I wanted to, I wanted to divorce them before the <laughs> end of the search. You know, okay. some of them, um, <clears throat> they go so fast, like I haven't even gotten my retainer check yet, and the job's right. filled. Okay. Um, but some, I, I'm just companies are so off. And they're, they're so super picky and, and unreasonable. And I feel like they become even more unreasonable when they retain you. That's been my mm-hmm. experience. I have nothing against retained search. I would love to be paid up front for every search I do. Um, but for me, I like to move fast. I like to present mm-hmm. multiple people to multiple places. Um, and uh, for me, I feel like that's a better service to the candidate. Mm. If I, if I'm calling you and hey Mark, let me tell me about the jobs that you're filling, and I can present you five. Right. Why would I need to ever go to any other recruiter? Right. And if I can present five candidates within two days to a client, why would they need to go to another recruiter? Absolutely. So, so for me, every candidate, I call it my inventory. I want to mm-hmm. make money off them if I can during the window of time where they're looking and if i'm too boxed in by a retainer i feel like i'm providing less of a service uh to the candidate as well and i feel like Mm. if you own the candidate market you will eventually own the client market Mm. that is my personal feeling and choice i have nothing against retained search and i think it's a great model but for me this model is cooking and i'm i'm happy to do it
1: fair enough i respect that listen um you mentioned like five candidates in two days. Is that your kind of benchmark of what you aim for or what's, when do you consider, like how many, oh, by the way, you mentioned a term earlier I want to explain POJO stands for presentation on an existing job order. I think that's an MRI term, um, but m- people might not know what that is. Do you feel like that is five candidates in two days? That's what you're aiming for? You know, it every search is
0: different. So I work positions that have a territory. Yep. So if the territory is small and the total candidate pool is 30 people, well, then that's an unreasonable goal. But if I'm working a national search, nine openings, nine territories, whole U.S., well, it could be very well more than five in two days. It could be two people per territory in, in a few days. But the thing is, I found that all companies are suffering from the same staffing challenge. And I'm trying to be the solution to that staffing challenge. They want speed and accuracy. If you're fast and inaccurate, you're annoying. And if you're on point but slow, you'll probably lose in contingency search. Mm -hmm. So in order to win the client and win the deal, you got to be fast and accurate. So with these master roll-up lists, working in a tight niche, the sourcing's already done. Now it's just a matter of plowing through the phone calls, plowing through the text messages and reaching those people. And so the search goes at the speed of my outreach. I rarely send bulk emails because I'm working in such a tight niche, it would be annoying. You know, so what I do sometimes is send a monthly email with just a a whole bunch of jobs Mm -hmm. Um, or I'm sending a text. Hey, I got another one. Here's another video to check out. Here's another one. You know, that kind of thing. So um, I don't have a number that I try to hit, but I can tell you, Mark, here's my benchmark. Whatever my list is of people, Mm -hmm. if I'm through calling them and texting them and I've yielded, whatever I yield off that, whether it be one to five people, Mm -hmm. and then I go through it again, I know I'm not going to get some mysterious new candidate because the sourcing's done. And so whatever it yields, I know that's what is going to be yielded. And so whatever that number is, I'm confident that that is, that is what the, the search will yield.
1: You go through your, your roll-up list. How many times do you attempt to get a response?
0: I, I try to do twice, mm-hmm. but um, minimally once. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, what I do is I have a team of people that sometimes help me with it. Like for instance, um, I'll take all the people that are active and listening, and all the people that we just don't know, they haven't responded in Mm -hmm. a year or two, I may have my team call those people twice. Mm -hmm. And so we're tackling it as a team most of the time.
1: Okay, Um, couple of things. Number one, since you're acting, like you see your service as being almost, equally important as the candidate and acting as a talent agent for them. um, Do you ask your candidates for exclusivity?
0: No, no, I try to earn it. Mm. I earn it. And and the way I earn it is, hey, Mark, uh, I have seven openings for you. I'm so glad you're in an active job search because we got a lot cooking or, hey, I got two openings, Um, but I know that there's four and I'll tell them, hey, there's two other openings. Maybe I know the recruiter that's working on that. Uh, I don't ask clients or candidates for exclusivity. I try to earn it through speed and accuracy. I want them to draw the conclusion themselves. Why on earth would I need anybody
1: else? That's my goal. Interesting, all right, fair enough. And w- you mentioned before that your sourcing is already done, so you're working at the speed of you know, outreach. Um, but how did the sourcing get done? Is that an ongoing effort? And whose job is that? And what does that involve?
0: Everybody's a uh, good question. Everybody is in charge of that.
1: Okay. So um, for themselves or like you don't have a team member who just constantly sources for you?
0: I don't. Um, okay. I don't. We, we need one. It's probably a good idea. But okay. what I found is um, the intellectual uh, property, like, I guess, I don't know what the right word is, but. My understanding of the market Mm -hmm. is going to have that person on the right list, coded properly and everything. And for me, it's really hard to outsource. Mm -hmm. So my recruiting team, once the calls are done, then we go to LinkedIn to say, okay, who's new? Mm -hmm. Who new that we don't have in the database? But these new people aren't making a job change. They're within their first year or so. But what we find is sometimes we're working in a therapeutic area that we haven't worked in in a while. Mm -hmm. Or in a geography we haven't worked in in a while, then LinkedIn becomes an additional thing to our database that then we inhale those people in, code them up, put them on there, and try to get a hold of them. But over time, it's like this continual grooming process, you know. So LinkedIn kind of fact fact
1: checks our uh, our sourcing, our data, how tight our database is. Got it. So I guess. You've pretty much already mapped your entire market, so everybody, virtually everybody, is already on your database, and so, and they're hearing from you. They're getting like a monthly, um, you know, job, you know, update, hot job update. They're also seeing your monthly video blog, you know. So you're you're keeping them warm and nurturing those that, um, you know everybody in your database on a continuous basis. So then when you contact them, they're so much more likely to respond. That makes total sense.
0: Here's another thing I'm doing, Mark, that may Mm. may be applicable to other desks and other businesses. So in my world, there are people that are doing a function. Let's call those major leaguers for the baseball fans out there. There's a group of major leaguers that I work with all the time. Then there's a group of minor leaguers. These minor leaguers wanna be major leaguers. For years and years, me and my counterpart uh, recruiters and other firms were just ignore the the minor leaguers because they just want to suck your time away and you can't help them anyway and the whole thing. I I said, you know, if they're ignoring them, maybe I shouldn't be because I try to do everything that my competitors are not doing just to be different. That's one of the things I think about. If everybody's doing it, maybe I shouldn't be. It's like a Mm -hmm. life thing that I do. Anyway, so um, what I started doing is have a whole marketing campaign to the minor leaguers that want to become the major leaguers. I provide them free interviewing advice through these blogs that I do. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have this standard response letter anytime I get an email from them. Here's a bunch of helpful links. Here's a video. Here's a couple videos that may help you. Here's Here's our interviewing checklist thing to look at. I give them all this stuff. Basically, I'm gaining brand loyalty before they even become in the function. Mm. So by the time they become and break in, some of them we help break in, others break in on their own organically, but they've already decided that they like us, that we were helpful when everybody else was ignoring them and they remember it. And so I've tried to make it as, as very not very, not very time-intensive. And I try to have – I give. The more I give, the more I feel like I – I get back the, the one of the foundational books aside from the bible of course is this book called the go-giver i implement that in my practice all the time and what i found is when i give stuff away <laughs> i'm not giving it away to get a return but i i can't i can't out give the return and so um but the thing is you got to guard your time so you want to make it as is uh less time intensive as possible one more thing Mark if I could I want to Go talk I want to peel back the onion on this whole concept of time. If you want to scale your business you got to be able to multiply your time. Now the one thing that we all have the same of is time. Some of us are more efficient and that sort of thing. So the only way I thought I could scale my efforts was not to start from scratch every time. Not take a chicken sandwich order each and then spaghetti and then Oh, you want me to quilt a blanket? I mean, you know, all this is, is time. I want to have a machine that bangs out these burgers fast. And so I, I've made master roll-up lists. I've tried to get as fast and accurate as I can, all to multiply my time so that all the effort I put in on search A could yield me a placement on, on uh, search B and C and D and, and, and ongoing. It's like a patty of burgers. You know, you get a bag of burger patties. You don't do that just to make one burger. You want to make all those burgers and sell them. So your inventory has to be recyclable. And when your inventory is recyclable, your time is recyclable. Mm. And you can actually ha- exponentially increase your billings because you're not starting from scratch each time.
1: Beautiful. That's uh, that's genius. I love it. Thanks, Michael. Listen... Um, Couple more quick questions. One is, could you talk me through a typical day of a high producing desk? Like when do you start? And then like, how do you divide your time up? It's
0: changed over time. Um, I feel like I'm still writing the effort momentum that was created in 2009 through 2011. My first child was born in 2012 my whole life changed at that point, how much time I could dedicate to this business changed at that point. But from 2009 to 2000 or yeah, late 2009 to mid 2011, I averaged 445 on the phone a day. And I, I would never be the second one to the office and I would never be, uh, I would always be the last one out of the office. My goal was to eat all three meals at my desk. That was my goal. Stupid goal. But that's what I did. And I cranked as much as I could. But then when I had Madeline, our oldest, all that didn't matter anymore. I didn't care how much I built. I cared what kind of dad I was. And then when kid number two and number three. So I've curtailed what I do per day. Um, And it gets easier because you could recycle your time more. You know, and you have these relationships fostered. So I would say is the best advice that I got was to burn your boats. If you're going to succeed in this business, if you're relatively new and you're like, "Ah, I don't know if this is going to work out, maybe you have a side hustle or whatever it is. I would say stop the side hustle, turn off the TV for two years and focus on this. Burn all your boats, which means there is no going back to where you came. Right. This is the only option. Moving forward is the only option. If you do that for two years, you'll ride that momentum for the rest of your career. So here's my normal day. I, I get up at 4.30, I read the Bible until 5, I work out until 6.30, I do some chores, my kids start waking up around then, I get ready for my day, I take them to school, and I'm, at my, I'm in my home office ready to crank at 8.15 to 8.20. And I don't take a lunch, I eat lunch, I just don't take a lunch. And I plow through the day until they get off the bus at 4.20, and then I'm dad again. Um, My team works basically from eight to five and I'm always the top connect time person. I'm always the top outbound call person. And so there is no one will ever convince me that the phone is not the reason you are going to make money. If you did no marketing or, you know, branding or any of this, the bells and whistles things that I said, and you just pounded the phone, you'd be just fine. And um, I have this, this saying in the office that I'm, you know, the movie, the last of the Mohicans. Yeah. Damn I tell the them. I'm the, yeah. Oh, great movie. I, I, I tell my people, I'm, I guess I'm the last of the phone. Hicans because I'm just <laughs> pounding the phone. My team, if they get to two and a half hours of connect time, they feel like they're heroes. If they make three 30 outbound calls, they feel like they've, you know, they, they need to, they need to take a break and I try to blow past those numbers every day. So uh, my marketing, like my, generating of job orders um, is not as processed as it used to be. I used to have a touch plan, Mm -hmm. which had every hiring manager on it. And I tried to touch them once a quarter. Mm -hmm. What I try to do now is I try to get, if you think about the in and out burger analogy, I try to get that double burger. Let's call that a manager. I try to get as many of those searches as I can, because then as I'm searching, I'm also marketing.
1: It's right, a two-for-one right, special, right?
0: right? Um, Absolutely. <laughs> and, so, and then the other thing is I try to gain internal advocates at companies. So instead of working with one hiring manager, I try to work with four or five. Because what ends up happening in the pharma business is these companies blow up. The drug fails or people leave. And I call it, it the dandelion effect. You, know, you get a dandelion and they go everywhere. So I want those five managers to end up at five companies and right. take me with it and take me with them as their secret weapon. You know, um, and so that's how a lot of my marketing is done now is through the recruiting process.
1: Yes, it's very smart. Um, as you say, you're you're getting double the impact um, so and, and maybe more if those you know, based on the dandelion effect. I like that um, analogy. Great one. So with regards to phone time then, because this is the, the big reason, excuse, subjection that I hear is, Mark, people don't answer the phone. So it's just voicemail, voicemail, voicemail. Are you finding that? Or do you find that you do connect? And if it is voicemail, what do you say to get the call back? Well, you know,
0: I, I hear the same thing. You know, it's clear and unarguable that um, the phone is, there's other tools besides the phone in your uh, toolbox today, Mm -hmm. but that does not diminish the value of the phone. And if Mm -hmm. people aren't answering, that's not the phone's fault. That's your fault. Sorry to be so direct about it. But if you're going to get somebody on the phone it takes time to really understand what their pain is or their motivations are. That takes time. That's not something you find in an email. You got to hear their voice. If you can see them, it's even better. In order, you And if you don't know their pain, you can't really sell. Selling takes time. Convincing, persuading, building relationships, these take time. These are longer calls. If you're not having these... Lengthy calls—20 minutes, 30 minutes, 25 minutes, whatever. If you're not having these calls, you're not building relationships. It's a transaction. Here's the deal of the day. You interested? Great. Let me schlep your resume. You're not building a relationship with that person. You don't know their kids' names. You don't know their motivations. You don't know their time horizons. You don't know what's motivating them. So, for me, my pushback is: if you're not on the phone, you're actually not in your market you're no different than a talent acquisition person who's scared to death of the phone. Have you noticed that? Talent acquisition people, they like? Oh, yeah, they, they don't just call. want to email, they won't call, right? So, so the yeah. same thing. Um, if you're afraid of the phone, you're going to have limited ex- success in this business. You might still have success. Um, <laughs> so uh, all I would say is phone time to me, when I look at my phone time number at the end of the day, I'm like, how much time was I in my market? Mm. How much time was my, you know, my... Uh, open sign on in my storefront, you know, because you, you can't impact your market if you're not in it.
1: Totally right. Totally right. So um, the biggest, so one is phone fear is, is one uh, thing that prevents people from being as successful as they could. The other though, is distraction. There's at which it just seems like there's so many distractions these days. How do you stay laser focused, Michael?
0: You know what? I'm struggling with it too. So it's not like, you know, anyone's immune to it. My cell phone's going off, my LinkedIn, my email, personal stuff. Um, yeah, I'm working from home for the first time and like the pantry seems to be like, Michael, <laughs> hey, hey, what you doing? You know, um, and, and uh, also for me, I'm a very type A pacing kind of guy. So sometimes I just find myself, I just need to, I just need to go move and come back, you know, um, you know, and so how do I, how do you just eliminate distractions? You know, you just do your best to stay focused. It's sort of like an NFL quarterback. They drop, they're dropping back to pass. They understand that there's people flying at them, big human beings coming at them, but they have to focus. And the people that can focus for the longest period of time will succeed. But the thing is, you got to take a mental break. Look at your phone. Not constantly, but every now and then. And, and uh, for me, it's the walk. Mm. I just, I just, it's like a, a, a neurotic dog. I just have to go and pace for a second and come back. It's just to get rid of some of this nervous energy. Um, so, you know, how do you eliminate distractions? I don't know if you can. It's just a matter of
1: giving in or not. Absolutely, Michael. This has been fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your, you know, wisdom and insight based on your considerable success. And uh, I've really, really enjoyed talking to you.
0: Oh, again, yeah, this is uh, this was very fun. Thanks for uh, tracking me down and getting me on here. I'm I'm glad you did, and and uh, I look forward to our friendship continuing. Me too. Awesome.
1: Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.